welcome into another episode of Triple Zeros. I'm your host, Josh Buck. Call to follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clock for Sports website, clockforsports.com, and the email address is clockforsports at gmail.com. As you can tell by my head attire, uh, the NFL has returned. That's right. Football is back. Um, well, professional football is back. We've had college football for uh, a couple of days now, but that's not the point. We talk about the NFL right now. Uh, the <laughs> Thursday night football came back with a bang, actually. This with the, the uh, in light of there being no preseason, you got the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans facing off in a rematch of last year's divisional playoffs. Uh, yeah, and it went just about the same way. Um, so let's get right into that. First of all, the Chiefs ended up with this ended up winning this game, thirty four twenty. It wasn't pretty, man. Houston jumped out to a real quick 7-0 lead. Uh, looked like they were going to be at least competitive, right? I don't want to say they're going to run away with it because 7-0 is never insurmountable, but it seemed like they were going to be able to, to uh, keep up, keep pace, as it were. That was followed, however, by 31 straight points by the Chiefs. <laughs> and you just know that is going to be a long year. See, here's the thing. Let's go through the stats real quick, and then we'll talk about what some of the observations were in this game. Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans uh, went 20-32, 253 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Patrick Mahomes, 211, three touchdowns, no picks, 24-32 himself. Um, David Johnson had a great Texans debut with 11 carries, 77 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, He also had three grabs for 32 yards, so he was – Back to his old self. It was good to see him doing it there, especially from a fantasy team. That was one of those picks that I was reading about, wasn't happy about making, but he just kept popping up in several drafts, so hopefully he can keep that up. Um, But the story at running back, at the very least, is rookie Clyde Edwards-Elair carrying 25 times, 138 yards and a touchdown. Uh, The dude was doing everything, and it was really good to see. He had two targets in the past game, but he didn't catch either one of them. No, they weren't really catchable, or he had one that was in his hands, uh, but it, it he got whacked. <laughs> he got laid out pretty pretty nicely. Um, but yeah, on the ground, the, the dude was looking pretty good. And during the game, Maurice Jones drew as he tweeted out that he reminded him a lot of himself. So that's a really solid comparison. And not just because you have the hyphenated last name. That's not even the only reason. Um, but it definitely factors in. It has to. Um, very impressive, though. 25 carries, 138 yards. Looks like he's going to be a focal point of this offense, much as many people were expecting him to be. Um, also from a fantasy team. Hey, listen. I'm in like eight leagues, so I'm bound to have a little uh, some exposure to everybody here. At the receiver position, this was uh, not a game of surprises all around, but, you know, a game of guys that you weren't necessarily expecting to go off going off. Will Fuller, this was the one that you guess I did. I guess you did expect uh, Bill O'Brien, head coach and general manager. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, had eight catches for 112 yards. Bill O'Brien had told us that he was going to be used or he viewed him as a wide, uh, you know, number one wide receiver. So uh, 10 targets, eight catches, 112 yards. If he can stay healthy, he's always had the potential to be a, a very productive receiver. I don't know about number one, but they're, I mean, they're using him like one. So we'll see. It seems to be though, there's also going to be still some target hog uh, going on there um, with Deshaun Watson and one of his receivers moving out. DeAndre Hopkins hasn't necessarily solved that issue. As you see, like I said, um, Will Fuller had 10 targets. The next guy was Brandon Cooks with five. He caught two of them for 20 yards. Um, after that, you got four to David Johnson, three to Randall Cobb, who didn't even really get much tick until late in the game. So that was in comeback mode. Um, yeah, looks like there's still going to be some funneling going on to Will Fuller. Hopefully he can hold up because he has not 
<laughs> that has not been his strong suit. On the Chiefs side, um, you got some early moves to Tyreek Hill, but then it was the Sammy Watkins show. You got some sprinklings of Travis Kelsey, too. He caught a touchdown. Tyreek Hill also caught, the t- caught a touchdown. But it was, again, the Sammy Watkins show who caught the third touchdown. Seven catches, 82 yards. And really, like I said, it was the show because he was getting targeted like Will Fuller was. He had uh, nine targets himself. So you see these two were just out here doing work uh, for these quarterbacks. Again, with uh, Patrick Mahomes and Sammy, they, they did their damage early, and then they had Elair just out there working uh, the ground game. So it was domination from start to finish for the Chiefs. Uh, well, not start to finish, but from from uh, not even middle. I don't even know what you would consider that, intermediate? I don't know. Anyway, um, the Chiefs dominated this game. And one of the big takeaways that I saw, and that we talked about it, I, just, I touched on it a second ago, DeAndre Hopkins no longer being around is definitely an issue. Now, we'll find out if it's an issue at large, or if it was just an issue in this game because there was no preseason. There's a very good chance that it was, the, you know, the, the lack of live action for these guys to get to familiar with each other contributed to the uh, poor execution, the poor timing it seemed between the receivers and Watson. And really, we already know he's got poor blocking in front of him, despite they're making that big investment in Larry Tunsil. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves as the season goes on. But what I am noticing about him is that he's still playing the same way. Like I just said, he's still targeting one guy heavily. That was willful. And that could be a rapport thing, but they're going to have to figure out a way to who's the physical receiver when you need to have that tough catch, right? That's the thing that, that concerns me about this group. And that's what they traded away more than anything with Hopkins. It's the, the, the comfort, the familiarity with he and, and the and, uh, Watson, the mind melt that they shared and that big body, the physical presence at the wide receiver position. Now, maybe they'll lean heavier on the tight ends, and you saw Darren Fells uh, get involved. Uh, Jordan Akins made a nice play. But you're going to miss that boundary guy that can make something happen, a chain mover, if nothing else, that's, again, a physical presence out there. We'll see how this group evolves. But um, right now, it's th- th- to me, it seems like that was an issue and didn't get solved until they went into the hurry up where you could see those guys out in space making plays and short. And uh, that was actually noted during the broadcast that a lot of Watson's passes were shorter than they were used to seeing. And that could be, again, I'm sure by design, but it wasn't effective. (laughs) So that's an issue. That's something that people pointed out when uh, the trade happened, the lopsided deal of David Johnson for DeAndre Hopkins, and they tried to justify it during the broadcast too, talking about contracts and how you would have to pay DeAndre. And they didn't really, what's funny about that is they justified getting rid of DeAndre's but not taking on Hop, um, David Johnson, which I know it expires sooner, but that's not the point. It's, it was just a weird, it's that, that's a weird justification to me for that position. Uh, but again, Johnson acclimated himself very well, very quickly to this, this team. So I wasn't, a bad debut by any stretch. We'll see what Hopkins does on Sunday. I'm excited to see that actually. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second too. What I don't get though, is the multiple opportunities that the Texans had to be aggressive and, and try to stay with Kansas city. There was a graphic that got tweeted out, not a graphic, but uh, a stat. I don't know which one, a comparison real quick snapshot of the game. And it was a fourth and short situation in which Kansas city went for it and ended up getting a touchdown later on in that drive. The uh, Texans did the same thing. They had the same opportunity. It was about midfield, and they punted, and Kansas City ended up scoring a touchdown. And it was just a breakdown of, uh, I think it was from Ben Baldwin, actually. Um, 
and it was about just basically coaching matters and how you can win or lose games based on little, little decisions like that. With a high-octane offense such as Kansas City's, you can't afford to waste possessions simply because you got antsy, right? You you were weary of being aggressive because they're not going to be worried about it. They're going to go and get you. That's the, that's just what's going to happen. So I don't understand the, the, the decision by Bill O'Brien, especially after what happened in those playoffs last year, to – then go ahead and and uh, punt the ball away. Why would you give the ball back to Kansas? It, make, it just doesn't make any sense to me when you do something like that. That that was weird. Uh, but we'll see. And then the 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 defense of Kansas City was impressive. Um, it took again the Texans until the game was out of hand to start rallying, making a comeback. And it was an impressive performance from those guys in the, on uh, a defense that was really really beat up and talked about just a couple of years ago. So. Uh, hats off to them for making that that huge transition in just a, a short two years. Of course, winning a Super Bowl is probably a better barometer than week one of an NFL season. But, you know, <laughs> got to give credit where credit is due. Um, so, as I talked about, we'll talk about some of the other games that are happening this week and that I'm looking forward to. Uh, number one, Packs, Vikings, Green Bay Packers, and the Minnesota Vikings. And I know, probably like, how the hell is a guy wearing a Bears hat looking for... Well, it's for the very reason that I want to see what the competition is like, and I also want to see these teams beat up on each other. These are the two teams that most have favored for one and two in the division in any order. Um, you've seen, I think, Bleacher Report or PFF, one of the two, had Detroit winning the division, which I'm, whatever, calling me skeptical, but whatever, we'll see. Um, but these two are who, who I think most eyes will be on for the winner of the division, and we'll see how... They are at least early in the season. It's their first, first test. And also, as a Bears fan, it's good to not have to face the Packers for a change. Um, week one, see you, Detroit. Uh, <laughs> that game, I'll talk about that in a moment, too. This one is also important because you have two of the best running backs in the NFL in Aaron Jones and uh, Dalvin Cook. We'll see how their workloads are managed, Dalvin Cook, because of his injury history, and uh, Aaron Jones because of the addition to the backfield of uh, A.J. Dillon. Out of Boston College, the running back, they traded up to go and get the big body. We'll see how he is used in light of this uh, this backfield rotation that already has Jamal Williams in it as well. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. And then, of course, the quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins. You can't watch the game and not be looking out for them. Kirk Cousins has to get used to only having one receiver that he's familiar with and Adam Thielen out there because Minnesota traded away to find Diggs. And maybe that's a game I should have put down as one to watch, too. Uh, I believe it's Bill's. Jess, and I'm probably wrong about that. But that's not the point. The point is, I should have said that because I want to see what Stephon Diggs does in that offense, that run-first offense that could tend to have a concentrated passing game itself because it's a lot of deep shots. Anyway, getting sidetracked. I'm talking about the Packers and the Vikings. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been used to getting uh, with one receiver that he's familiar with in Devontae Adams, and they there's a lot of excitement about Alan Lazard, but we know it'll be a Jake Kumaro and a, and a, um Marquez, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling combining to, to platooning really to uh, make a, a number two receiver in this offense. And then they're going to run a lot. They, they told us that. The, if nothing else, the, uh, the trade up and drafting of Dylan tells they're going to run the ball a lot as they did last year. Um, Minnesota, like I said, uh, Kirk Cousins got to get used to just Adam Thielen. Now they had Justin Jefferson out there, but he's not Stephon Diggs. He doesn't, he's not the same kind of player. Um, so we'll see how they handle that. Maybe they, with uh, Gary Kubek, we expect him to be run heavy again. 
We'll see if they use more two tight ends. Get uh, I know Irv Smith has been working a lot out split wide, so we'll see what happens with that. But that's one that I'm watching. That's the first one. Next one, Seahawks Falcons. Um, this is for two different reasons. Seahawks are coming off an 11 and five season where they lost in the divisional round. Obviously, they just signed Josh Gordon, but he can't play yet. So I just want to see how a playoff team that that tends to start a little slower, but not really slow. It's more just an ugly style. Like they grit out, they can grind out some wins. It's just always ugly football early on in the season for Seattle. And then the Falcons, how did they bounce back uh, coming off of, I think, their third consecutive year without the playoffs? And Dan Quinn still has his job as a head coach. That's an interesting choice. Um, how are they adjusting with Todd Gurley in the backfield now? Um, just are, are they able to, to, I guess, become a playoff team they're coming off of a seven to nine year that's you know a disappointing team disappointing season for a team that was just in the super bowl not that long ago um the third game cincinnati Bengals taking on the los angeles Chargers. this game is all about seeing joe burrow under center it could be about seeing justin herbert too but he won't be playing that'll be tyrod taylor hopefully he does not uh and hopefully it stays that way throughout the remainder of the game um I want to see how Burrow plays. The speed of the game is it too fast for him. Is he a playmaker? Is he able to work with an offense that, by and large, is going to look like the one that Andy Dalton had to work with last year, save for a couple of returning pieces, obviously, in the offensive line? Uh, <clears throat> I'm also interested in seeing what this defense does now uh, with the with – the, well, they, they got one of the quarterbacks is, is injured and suspended or something wrong. He won't be there. That's not the point. Uh, it's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was, like I said, it could have been Justin Herbert too, but uh, because he won't be starting, that's not going to be the case. Also, I have to check in to see what's going on with Melvin Ingram. I know he was having the issues with his contract um, after Joey Bosa just got his deal. I know Keenan, Keenan Allen just got his deal done. We'll see what the Chargers defense looks like um, without Derwin James as well. But again, this game is simply about going and seeing Joe, Joe smoking Joe Burrow uh, in his first NFL action. Next game I'm looking forward to is the Niners and the Cardinals. Uh, San Francisco 49ers coming off that Super Bowl loss. Obviously, want to see how they bounce back in their first game. We saw that there doesn't appear to be much of a hangover, if any. There's none. For the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. So I'll be interested in seeing how the Niners happen to fare uh, in the losing season, which we know typically is not very well for those teams that don't win. So um, their follow-up campaign will be an interesting one to keep an eye on. And how they progress with all the injuries already starting to hit them um, at some very important positions. We'll see, uh, especially receiver Debo Samuel. We'll see what's what's going on with him. Um, again, Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy who I was hard on last year. I'll try to be more open minded to his progress and what he does for this offense this year. Uh, but I, I still see it. And then on the Cardinal side, obviously DeAndre Hopkins um, in his first action as a Cardinal and how he works with Card- uh, Kyler Murray, who I've already made put it in writing. Uh, is my pick for MVP this year. It might be far off, but I and you know a lot of that depends on how competitive the Cardinals are, and that's a tough division. But I think his performance, and they'll be competitive enough to make it happen. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here as well. That and uh, him and Hawkins, that connection is what I want to see. How much do they still use Larry Fitzgerald? Um, King and Drake, that's a personal one for fantasy reasons, and I could have. there's a few that I passed over in the past couple of games, but this one is important because that was a, a pick I took early that was very questionable, so I need that one to pay off, and uh, he's been in the walking boot, so we'll see how that goes. He returned to practice, so we'll see. Hopefully that means uh, everything's a go for him. But it, this, much like the Bengals' charges is about Joe Burrow, Cards' Niners is about DeAndre Hopkins uh, in his first game without 
Deshaun Watson, I personally, and, and Watson finished out with a pretty solid game. He had a rushing touchdown as well. Um, I think that's going to look like Hopkins looks much better and much more uh, in a much better place, much better situation than does Watson. I, that's just, you know, I think I, in a pass-heavy offense with a quarterback, a quarterback who's going to be able to, I think Kyler will find him just as much, if not more, than Watson did. So get ready for that, anybody that's got them, got those two uh, on either one of the fantasy teams. Next game, Saints-Bucks. This is obvious, right? Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Um, you want to see these two legends. I, we won't get them in the Super Bowl, obviously, now. We got robbed of that past couple of years. Boo. That, that was one that I wanted to see really bad. Uh, but we'll get to see them twice this year, and that's cool. It probably only happens once because I doubt both either one of them comes back next year. We'll see. We'll see. They don't seem to want to go away. They might be trying to outduel each other in that regard. Uh, but that's going to be interesting to see how does um, how are the Saints now with – really – they didn't do much, but they did add Emmanuel Sanders, which is the best number two receiver I can remember in quite some time on that offense. Uh, and then for Tampa Bay, um, obviously, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and Leonard Fournette and Shady McCoy. Uh, how do they all acclimate themselves? This is the, I, I worry that there are some uh, Dream Team Eagles to this, and I forget what year that is, and I don't want to speak the one I want to say 2011, but that's probably not right. Um, but that Philly team with Vince Young and Namdi Asamoah, and they had those guys and Vince Young. God, we we like the Dream Team, and they went on to be like dog shit. That's what I fear for the Brady Bucks is that a bad offensive line that a lot of times forced Jameis to hurry decisions is going to get Brady creamed, and his dreams of playing the forty five are going to be crushed and dashed by week five. Um, uh, that's that's what I think is the biggest Achilles heel on this. Buccaneers team that I can see they're loaded at the skill positions the defense is underrated and up and coming and I think they are really talented I just don't think they were built for Tom Brady now we'll see we'll see and I don't I think the line is I think the line can be solid but I think that they're gonna they're gonna quickly find out that Brady is not Jameis Winston and I don't mean that in the accuracy sense which they'll notice that too the lack of turnovers are probably going to be a surprise maybe that'll help them play better because they'll be uh be able to get more consistent play from the guy behind them but it's just one of those things that I I I look at and I'm like okay that could be a problem it's not like they they were a highly rated group and now you got a guy who doesn't move nearly as well as the guy you just moved on from who by the way will be backing up the guy that you're going to be playing against this Sunday. That's awesome. Too. Now, hopefully uh, James doesn't get into this game because Drew will make it through okay, but or maybe he does, and it's garbage time, whatever. But just an interesting side note. And then the last game that I'm looking forward to is the Rams and Cowboys, just because I want to see how the Rams' revamped offense is without Ty Gurley, who's that lead back down there. Um, Brandon Cook's obviously gone now. Does... Uh, Josh Reynolds step up. Do they step? Do they go with Van Jefferson as the guy that they start bringing as the third one? Do they just concentrate it more, bring the tight ends more involved? Who knows what they do there? Um, and then the defense, Jalen Ramsey and his new money. I always want to see what Aaron Donald does. Cowboys, Mike McCarthy as head coach and his offensive system. They added another receiver, another talented receiver in CD Lamb there. They just paid um, Amari Cooper and they have Michael Gallup. Now, my money would be on Michael Gallup to be the odd man out. For obvious reasons, the trade chip, the guy you could probably end up moving for a uh, cornerback, which they definitely need. Uh, but 
I'm interested to see how this entire offense moves as a unit. Mike McCarthy was a longtime Packers coach, took some time off in between that and now. He's taken over the unit that Jason Garrett largely, I don't want to say built, but had a hand in, in building, putting together and molding. And it'll be interesting to see if he's able to get them over the hump for um, as a, a guy who kind of got ran out because he had grown stale with his own team. So, uh, And not so news that I wasn't looking forward to hearing. Denver Broncos lost Von Miller for the season to a tendon injury. Um, he's supposed to be having surgery to have it reattached. They haven't been specific as to what's going on with it. Sounds like Achilles. I'm not going to specify or uh, speculate any further than that. Um, they also have Bradley Chubb return, returning from an ACL injury, so they're just banged up all over the place. Um, Vic Fangio is a guru, though, so he'll have those boys uh, whipped up something right, I expect. I fully expect that to be the case. Um, and then, lastly, in the NFL portion of the show, the Chicago Bears' uh, expectations for me for this Sunday against the Detroit Lions are they are going to win this game. Uh, historically, Mitchell Trubisky plays well against the Detroit Lions. Um, I think three of his best games have come. That's, I know three of his best games come against the Detroit Lions, but uh, uh, if something were to happen to him and knock on wood, Nick Foles has also played well against the Detroit Lions. He's also carved up Matt Patricia's defense in the Super Bowl that Foles won for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Lions, I do expect to be a better team, but I think the Bears have been planning for this. I think this is going to be and this is what worries me, that this might be the best performance we see from them all season. This might be the Fool's Gold game. They have one of them. They've had one each the past two years. The first year, it was Tampa Bay. Um, last year, it was Washington, right? You thought that there was a chance that they turned the corner after they, they Mitch did it, what he did to Washington, and then, nah. And the Tampa Bay game, you thought it was hot, six TDs, and then, no, Tampa Bay was just garbage. So that's what concerns me, that this is going to come out and they're going to look really good and it's going to be fool's gold. Um, another news about the Bears, though, there was rumors that, not rumors, but there's a report that the Bears were one of the finalists to sign Tom Brady. And I thought about how hurtful that was to be released. I talked about in the article, uh, was it the article or was it last? I, I've recently spoken about how ESPN has been kind of hard on the Bears. It's bringing up how bad it is, and we know how every time you see Deshaun Watson and, and Patrick Mahomes, you have to remind, be reminded about the Bears passing on them for Mitchell Trubisky. And I couldn't help but think to myself, who the hell is out here assigning these 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 pieces to people and keep reminding people in Chicago what they had to go through? That is hurtful. <laughs> Let it go. We've tried to move on. You should too. Hurtful stuff, man. But again, I fully expect them to beat the Detroit Lions, and I wrote about as much uh, from my, in my piece for Last Runner Pro Football. I actually wrote about it in American Better Experts about a week ago that I expect the Bears to win and take the money line. I have to read that again, what I wrote about them. But for Last Runner Pro Football, just this week, I wrote about the pass rush being able to get a fast start. That newly remodeled pass rush with Robert Quinn on the other side of Khalil Mack. Now, Quinn reportedly didn't practice, and Mac was a limited participant, but so far we're hearing they should be good. We'll see. No preseason, no warm-ups. Quinn came in a little later due to personal things and getting right. It's been a drag. Fingers crossed, but this is the perfect opportunity for them to go up against or to get uh, going because they're playing against a line that doesn't protect very well uh, on a team that passes a lot. So. Be good to see them get some some damage done on these boys if they really, really could do something. If they're going to try to get started, now's a good time. Flipping over, and we're doing a little bit of a, 
a course correct or a change of, of pace here. This is how we started. Back to how we started doing the NFL first. Switching over, though, to the NBA. Uh, man, Bucks got sent home. Giannis and company got gentlemen swept 5-4-1 by the Miami Heat. And the prevailing thought coming out of this is Giannis is not a real superstar. His superstar status is in question. People are 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 pulling his credentials and, and saying that Giannis uh, is not that dude. And all I have to say is, duh. Now, I do get the 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 uh, appeal, right? Big dude, athletic as hell, can do, has guard skills and a big body. But I don't think that people fully understand the superstar part, right? They, the super part of star, superstar. They get the star. But they just think superstar means you're really famous. And I, I no, it means you're really good and really famous. You can deal with all the pressure that comes along with the uh, the fame, right? The notoriety. And when you look at Giannis, you don't really see that. And where I've seen two areas that concern me the most for him and that I think are important are at the free throw line in the fourth quarter. Now, a lot of people make a lot of a lot about him not having a, a, a counter move other than trying to bowl down the lane and, and drill his way to the to the to the basket, and that that's that's true. But aside from that, you know, I'm not worried about. It's kind of like Ben Simmons. I don't care about you not shooting threes. You got to get that free throw percentage up. In the regular season, Giannis is shooting 63% from the free throw line. Now, he's averaging 29, 13, and 5, 55% from the floor, 30% from three. But 63% from the free throw line, that's not good. It's better than he had been doing, but it's not good. But in the postseason, that's dropped along with his point total, his points per game, uh, that which is down to 26. He's still at 13 and 5 on boards and assists, 55 from the floor, 32 from three, but 58% from the free throw line. That's not good. You, you can't get worse at the free throw line in the postseason. You already aren't a good shooter, so dropping that much, you're back down, though. You're, that's bad. That's not good. I, I, I can't put it any other way. That's a concern because you know they're going to send you to the line when you're trying to dr- drive to the to the lane all reckless. They don't have any other choice. It's either that or they give you an ambulance. You're going to get hard fouls, but that means you have to make them pay. This is the exact same argument I have for Ben Simmons. It's okay if you're not going to shoot a three, but I need you to be aggressive. And if you're going to be aggressive, I need you to shoot free throws much better than you're doing. Giannis, as the MVP, the looking like the two-time MVP, the current defensive player of the year, which has no bearing on what I'm talking about right now, but you gotta do you gotta do better. That your shooting, shooting has to be his only focus this offseason. He has to shoot. Free throws, mid-range, three-pointer. Free throws, mid-range, three-pointer. And really, you don't have to shoot the three, but you gotta get your free throws on. That's got I, this. That's that's not good. That, that that's a detriment to you and to your team, and it's reflected, I think, partially in your in your fourth quarter numbers. That's the other part that bothers me. Now, in the fourth quarter of the regular season, he was averaging eight point three is uh, three boards, one assist on fifty six from the floor, twenty eight from three. And 68 from the free throw line. Now, that 28 from three is horrible. Again, he's not a great three-point shooter, but you don't need that. I'm not worried about that. 68%, that's better than his, than his numbers uh, throughout the rest of the season, the rest of the game. So, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But in the playoffs, it's dropped. His points have dropped to five. He's got another board. Still at one assist. 
But now he's slashing 50% from the floor, 12% from three, and 41% from the line. That's where I have a problem. That's where the issue for me comes in. If you're going to be the the superstar MVP face of the league, dude, I cannot, cannot have you fading in the fourth quarter and then fading even further in the fourth quarter in the playoffs. That's the I, that's supposed to be you time. So at first I was reluctant to agree with it, but then I thought about it like, yeah, no, if I can look back at this and see that he doesn't have the numbers, the takeovers, right? The 17 points, the the big, I'm sure he's had those games, but that doesn't immediately like uh, pop into your mind. You think of the struggles. You think of the, the miss, the airballed free throws. And that's what you see. And I think that's what the prevailing notion is here. And it might be ultimately the truth. Giannis is not a superstar. Maybe, and people got kind of jumped on him for it, and he didn't mean disrespect, but maybe Richard Jefferson was right in that Giannis is a Scotty that needs a Michael. He needs a closer. He needs a scorer. He's the point forward. He's the setup guy. He's the all-around defender. He can do everything. He also said Shaq. Like, he gave really good comparisons. I think, uh, I don't think he said Shaq. I think Jay Williams said Shaq, and then LeBron, and that's when everything went all crazy. Um, I, 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 I think that he might have been known to something, and people jumped on him for the wrong reasons because they know that's the other part. They they were saying it too, but because he said it, they jumped on him, and it was a hater thing, and he had to apologize to Scotty and blah blah blah. But it's not just Giannis. I don't want to just lay this the the failures of the Bucks all on Giannis. So everybody got happy when Middleton scored that thirty some odd point game and kept the Bucks alive. Uh, against the Heat in Game 4, kept him from being swept after Giannis went out after re-aggravating his ankle injury that they're talking about. He's uh, he quitting on his team. Um, Middleton followed that up with um, another solid performance. He's actually been shooting okay from the floor, but he too in the fourth quarter disappears. See, you, you have to be able to elevate in the fourth. He's right there with Giannis. And this is what makes Giannis look even worse, but he is at 5-2-1, right? 5 points, 2 boards, 1 assist. What kills me about Middleton, though, is that he's shooting 27% from the floor in the fourth quarter during the playoffs. No, not good enough. So this team isn't built right. They're talking about Mike Budenholzer is safe in his position as, as head coach, but Eric Bledsoe's a trade candidate. One, who's going to take Eric Bledsoe on? For what? What are you bringing back that's of value? And then two, what does that do about Middleton's fourth quarter woes? His disappearing at 27% from the floor. You my number two and your specialty is shooting? And you're 27% from the floor in the fourth quarter in the playoffs? Now, granted, he had a couple of bad games, but you take those out, and I think it rises to like 28%. Like, it's not good. <laughs> it's just not good. That's, that, that's not acceptable. So Giannis is probably going to bounce. And I think my piece that I'm going to write for Clock Sports is how that's about to send riptide, uh, ripple effect throughout the entire NBA. That I don't think anybody's even really considering all of the uh, repercussions of it. But uh, that'll be one that I write up for Clock Sports coming up probably this weekend sometime. Uh, be looking out for that because the you know Bucks got time now. They got a lot going on. I'm expecting to make waves this offseason. I think he'll try to improve Giannis jumping back. Uh, but, yeah, I think that uh, – 
going forward, he will bounce because they're not good enough. There's no trade for Bledsoe that I can foresee that's going to improve this roster enough. They should have kept Brogdon uh, by hook or crook and moved Bledsoe last year, but you know, tight economy. Yeah, that's the other thing. The the salary cap's about to go down after after this lost seat halfway lost season. Nah, don't see Bledsoe being moved to anybody for anything worth anything. But stranger things have happened. Um, the Miami Heat's title chances. I have to wonder about them. So they have the best record in the playoffs right now at eight and one. Um, they are fifth in field goal percentage, third in three point percentage, second in free throw attempts, fourth in assists and steals, and second in personal fouls. But their eleventh in turnovers. The only team that remains that's worse is the Los Angeles Lakers. So that kind of offsets the concern there, but it's still a concern because you can't win when you turn the ball over. And we know the Heat have. Uh, Stretches where they kind of just go cold and they and they just disappear. Their offense just looks dysfunctional. We saw that when Middleton uh, was leading the charge for the Bucks after Giannis went down, the Heat took their feet off the gas, off the pedal, and and let uh, the Bucks win that game that they should not have won. That game should have been a blowout for the Heat. It should have been a sweep, but it wasn't. That's a concern. Um, again, the dysfunction that they can sometimes show on offense. But they're a tough team. They're gritty. That's why I picked them to come out of the East after my initial pick. Philly uh, showed that they were about to just go out, you know, sad. So, so sad. I, I do wonder about the Heat's title chances. Listen, I don't think they're going to beat anybody in the West, but they could definitely reach the finals, and I would like to see that for Jimmy Butler. That would be cool. Um, the other series in the East, the Raptors forced Game 7 versus the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics were up in this two games to none, and then 3-2 and let uh, the Raptors force the Game 7. I do wonder what this says about a potential collapse uh, spelling for them long-term. They, right now, though, are first in opponent field goal percentage and uh, three-point percentage, so they're playing the best defense in the bubble uh, in the playoffs. And I just, again, with that, you still wonder, because we've seen them have leads and blow big. They led by 30 points not that long ago against them, up against uh, Toronto, let them come back. and take that game. So I, I just don't, I, I, I wonder if the talent, cause I think the, I think Boston's more talented, but the experience for Toronto has pr- proven to be invaluable. Cause a lot of teams would have rolled over down two Oh, and then down three, two and kind of given up in that game uh, six, but you got 33 points out of uh, Kyle Lowry in that game. Eight, uh, eight boards, six assists. Fred Van Vliet gave you 21, nine and seven. You got uh, 23 points from, from Norman Powell. But this series has been won or lost. Oh, you got three 20-point scores on the Boston Celtics. Meanwhile, you got uh, none in the playoffs for Toronto. But this series has been won or lost by three-point shooting. Um, the Raptors, in their losses, are shooting 28% from deep. And in the wins, they're shooting 37%. It's average, 37% uh, from, from deep per game. Boston seeing a similar trend. When they're winning, it's high. When they're losing, it's low. This isn't a necessarily just a score. This is three-point shooting. So, and I, I said this episode or two episodes ago about how, how even these teams really were and how we're really getting to see that as they duke it out. Um, them going seven games kind of just proves that it was a lot more even than, um, I got shit my record. I, I might have picked them. And I might have had this. I got the Raptors winning the series. Um, I, I might have picked that for seven, though. But, uh yeah, this one, this is, this is a, a duking, a duke it out, knock them down, drag them out 
whatever you want to, however, whatever colloquialism you want to use here, uh, kind of series, and you like it. You love to see it. Kyle Lowry earning people's respect. Kimba Walker being able to do what he does on the big stage. Jalen, Jason Tatum continuing his ascension, showing us his playmaking ability that he's added to the repertoire. Jalen Brown becoming a more consistent contributor um, to this team. It's, this is a series, man. The one negative has been Pascal Siakam being kind of mediocre. Um, for all the talk of being the back-to-back most improved player, um, he's kind of disappeared and, and been MIA through much of most pivotal points in the series. Um, and he's looking a lot like Paul George did for much of the earlier rounds of the playoffs. So we'll see if he comes around. But, yeah, that's been a fun one to watch. Um, the Clippers took a 3-1 lead. Kawhi Leonard's averaging 30 and, and like, 10 or something like that. And and basically playing point forward. He's doing a lot more than I think anybody would have thought he could have done because there was a lot of talk about he can't command an offense and they don't have a real point guard and they don't and they're going to have problems with it but they seem to be finding out how to play with each other and at the expense of the um Denver Nuggets but the story here forget the game Michael Porter Jr. calls out the coaching uh, he had 15 points on five of eight shooting but that was five of six at halftime two more shots and he ended up in a post game saying this quote I just didn't touch the ball they didn't do anything different he said that's up to play calling, the coaches, and whose hands they want to put the ball in, Porter said. We kept going and joking, joking Mur and uh, Maul, and they were two amazing players, but I just think to beat them, we need to get more players involved. We have to move the ball a little bit better. We can't be predictable against that team. He also said, uh, if I'm going to be out there on the floor playing a lot of minutes, I think I should voice that concern. I'll probably talk to the coaches, just tell them what I see being out there on the floor, just letting them know. Look, they know what they're doing. Like, we got to swing the ball. We've got to... Lot, we've got a lot of players who can play basketball and score. We got to get some more guys involved. So the immediate reaction from players around the NFL, uh, NFL around the NBA, Damian Lillard, uh, shaking my damn head, um, in a response to another blue check. Uh, yes, he is wrong. If you know, you know. I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, Kendrick Perkins chimed in with this ain't it, young buck. And listen, he's right that you got to get more people involved. Um, some of that is on Murray and Jokic, but some of that is on the coach not telling them, "Hey, make sure you're getting your teammates involved and keeping." Them. But they don't. Murray's not a real point guard, right? So that's you see why you, where you missed that. No, Jokic plays basically like a point guard, but down in the post. But they start a lot of offense through him down there, and that's probably where a lot of the choke off is coming because he's already passing from a disadvantage because he can't see the entire floor like he would if he was at the top of the key. Um, so Porter has a point, but I think the thing is the, the method publicly and hit like, and what makes it worse is it's not just him airing out grievances in the public. It's him airing out those grievances in the public before he said he talks to the coach. He's, I'll probably talk to the coaches that probably should have been your first discussion. And then you come out here and say this if you were going to say it. That's the only issue. It's not wrong what he said, but it's definitely an issue that he came out to the media and said it that way. But I like it in you. I like that he felt that he could say it on this team because truth be told, when it's all said and done, he'll probably end up being the best player on this team if they keep him around that long. Um, But there's decorum. This was was one that, like, it just didn't need, what what does this solve? 
the, the saying it in public, make it happen, because you know what? It'll happen, but it'll be at your expense. I, and it, it sounds, right? We could say it's a, a valid point, but it sounds like you know, it, it appears as though you're only compa- complaining because you didn't get your touches. And that's a problem. I think what we're seeing here is the team with best player theory in play. Something that I've talked about repeatedly. Um, Seven-game series, not not a, a original thought. This is shared. Um, Seven-game series, team with the best player, most likely wins. That's the point of having a seven-game series. And I think we're seeing that here. The Kawhi Leonard has been a man on a mission. Seems determined to go and get his third ring with his third different franchise. Um, it's insane. But that talent level is far and above what the Denver Nuggets and all their depth can muster. Maybe they push it to six, but I don't think I don't see it going seven. And I really think it's going to be over come tomorrow night, come come Friday night. We'll see. Hopefully, we'll, that's it, because then you can move on, because I know the NBA was worried about um, the East being too far ahead. I know they're get, glad they got a Game 7 out of uh, Toronto and uh, Boston. So, the Lakers. Interesting talk here about LeBron versus AD, who's the more important piece. I don't think it really is important, as long as they win. Obviously, I think that's what they would say. Um, you have AD getting the numbers leading in a lot of categories during the playoffs, just like he was during the regular season. Uh, you got Bron though as the straw that stirs the drink. So I'm not. I just don't know how you uh, how you separate the two because I think Bron needs AD's abilities to take over a game, but AD needs Bron to put him in position and others in position around him to be successful to make everything work. Um, this does though. This series does have after Houston was getting blown out. For much of the night, they ended up losing one ten to one hundred, but it was much worse. They were losing by up to like twenty some odd points or twenty points uh, in this game, and you just wonder if they end up losing because it's now three one for them too. Uh, if they lose, what happens with this team? Do you blow it up? Tillman Fertitta's already supposedly had been looking for reasons to get below or ways to get below the the luxury tax. Could he just say, you know what, we're capped? There's not any moves we can make with this group, and what do you do now? Like, what's the pivot after this? You know, like, you're, are you bringing in younger players? They ain't going to have to flip those young players for old players again. Like, I, is this going to end up being like a Westbrook in Oklahoma City where ultimately you end up having to blow it all the way up anyway? Um, so do they see that and, and go above and beyond and just say, okay, we're going to make that happen now? Who knows? It's, it does bring a lot of questions. Again, in Houston's been affected by the China issue. Um, D- uh, uh, Daryl Morey with the tweet in support of Hong Kong, they've been affected by it more than anybody. So. Um, good luck, Houston. He, you def and not only that. So Houston tonight, Houston Thursday lost their opening of the NFL Week One NFL game in in a horrible fashion, looking like they made a lot of mistakes this off season. And then the Rockets looked like they didn't even want to play. I mean, it was bad for the much of this game. Bad. I people are gonna blame people. They're gonna blame individuals. I think that this is an organizational failure in Houston. So I'm not even going to go through it. I just think it's an organizational failure top to bottom. Um, I talked about it a little bit last week about uh, last episode about Russell Westbrook and his need to be better. Harden needs to be better because there's times where you just see him for all the, for all people who defend his defense saying he gets a lot of steals. There's also a lot of times where he just gets caught flat footed. I mean, like not even trying flat footed while people are driving on him to the hole. That's not good. Those are issues. Um, and then lastly, in this portion, uh, Daniel House 
is being probed by the NBA for supposedly sneaking a COVID tester into his room. Just going to leave it at that. <laughs> if you know, you know, you know the vibes. Uh, he denies it vehemently. Uh, they don't, they aren't sure of his availability for the next round or for the next game. Uh, but he's being probed. That is, that is an, in- now maybe you'll get to see Damari Carroll, but that's an interesting one. They already won't have Tyson Chandler for personal reasons, uh, but he wasn't playing anyway, so that's not a big deal. Uh, that, yeah, that's, that's an interesting story. Was, I'm surprised he was the first one. Not surprised it was somebody from Houston, though. Just thought it would be somebody else. Uh, last story, though, Billy Donovan will not be returning to the Oklahoma City Thunder. It was announced on Tuesday night that uh, after this year when his contract, well, now his contract has expired, he is not returning. Um, as the Thunder are pivoting towards their rebuild, he's probably going to move on to a contender. However, um, it has emerged that the Bulls are interested in him and that they are early, well, I think among the favorites at least, to land his services. Uh, no, listen. Personally, I think Kenny Atkinson's better, but aside from, like, just take Atkinson out of it, I, w- I would prefer to go with the uh, Ime Udoka route or the Wes Unsell Jr. route uh, than Don- Billy Diamond. I look at him like Scott Brooks, like a Brett Brown, a guy who was gifted with a really talented team and failed to maximize their potential. And so now, you know, you- you're seeing him back out there, and he's going to be highly sought after because he's a very big name who's had a very good record. I think it's a 7-16, winning percentage in five seasons in the NBA. Came into a head coaching position after 20-some years in the NCAA championship uh, with, the, with the Gators. But you had Hall of Famers on your roster and, and could four, three, four first-round exits, four first-round exits, right? And then this second-round exit, and people are going to say, and I even I had to catch myself, was uh, backing them for coach of the year. But you forget you had the coach on the floor. Chris Paul. Chris Paul is the coach of the year because we know what Billy Donovan can do. Nothing. And I wrote about this with Pimpin' and Easy, and I'm, I'm, I think it should be up uh, sometime uh, Friday, so look up for that one. PimpinandEasy.com, and I wrote about how Billy Donovan's not the guy. He's not. And it's funny because on the, on the site, um, site co-manager, co-expert uh, Andrew Miller wrote that Billy Donovan is the guy, so I'm like right behind him with it. No, he's not. Uh, wasn't on purpose, I promise. It wasn't intentional, but it definitely worked out to be that, that way. That's funny. Um, uh, you 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 had Hall of Famers and you 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 wasted their potential. I just don't I don't I don't see the the development. I don't see um, when when Kevin Durant left and he was remember the burner account incident. I wrote about this with the articles about it's in there. Uh, Durant tweeted out under the he thought under the burner that he didn't want to play for that organization or for Billy Donovan. And that the roster was trash. And for all you Russ haters, and I threw this in there too because I love to to bring this part up. How they say Russ ran off KD in this tweet that he thought was coming from a burner. He said, "And not Russ." Imagine if you took Russ off that team, how much they would suck. So it wasn't Russ that he he left because the roster sucked and Donovan sucked. They had listen, listen, Billy Donovan. Is 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 Scott Brooks and Brett Brown? So whatever your opinion is of them, it should be of him. I, that's that's what I'll say. And I, I personally, I don't have a very high one of them as coaches. Um, and I, that's that's how I'm with Billy Donovan. Now you could might say you feel the same with Kenny Atkinson. Cool, that's fine. I'm not even going to argue with you on that. Like I said, separate the two, and I still have an issue with Billy Donovan being the guy. I'd much rather see them go with the 
um, connections to Eversley and Karnasovas and um, in uh, Udoka and Unsell Jr. respectively. So that's my two cents on that part. Uh, that's going to do for this episode of Triple Zeros. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at JoshyBuck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports website, ClockerSports.com. Email address, ClockerSports at gmail.com. And, of course, uh, read the stuff, Last Run of Pro Football, PipAintEasy.com, uh, American Betting Experts, and, of course, ClockerSports.com. Until the very next time, Purple, 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 Purple